Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Stage Podcast by Web Summit. Today we're releasing some bonus content to give you a sneak peek at some of the goings-on at our new online event, Collision From Home. On February 2nd, 2020, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif helped the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Fast forward to today, and he's facing a far more difficult challenge. Laurent is the NFL's only qualified doctor, and is currently working at a long-term care centre in his native Canada. As well as this, Lauren is the first player to opt out of the upcoming NFL season because of coronavirus fears. Lauren recently spoke at Collision From Home, detailing his experiences with the coronavirus. He'll tell us what life is like on the front lines and the challenges of restarting sports without a vaccine. I am so looking forward to this conversation. I'm so excited about talking with you today. I thought about it this morning. I thought if there was ever a person to talk to about the power of one and one person making a difference and having a ripple effect, it's you. So thank you for, for talking with me today. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, honestly. Let, let's jump into it. Your story fascinates me. We'll take it a step at a time. So take me back. So for people to get to know you a little bit, tell me, you know, where you grew up and how you had this emerging interest of football and medicine. And, you know, most people feel pressure to pick a lane, frankly. So were you always juggling both? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, actually, I grew up in Montreal. I'm a French Canadian. You can tell with my accent. But uh, yeah, I play, I play a little bit of everything growing up. You know, I played badminton. I played basketball. I was a runner in the, you know, cross country club and everything. And, uh, and I feel like at some point I, I found an interest for football. And um, I, I was maybe 14, 15 years old. And uh, it, I saw football more maybe as a way to like canalize my excess of energy at the beginning. I was not, you know, aiming at being a pro football player. Uh, and it's only when I got to like college at McGill University that um, I felt like maybe I had the talent uh, to, to make a push south of the border. And, you know, you got to realize for a, for a French Canadian uh, who grew up in a town where like it's all about hockey, uh, to, to dream about the NFL is kind of a, a really long shot, you know. And uh, Back then, I was also a medical student at McGill University, and uh, it, it was clear for me that there was no way I was going to, you know, stop my, my medical school in order to go play football. Because even if you make it to the NFL, the average career is like 3.5 years or something like that. So you need like a strong plan A. And for me, that plan was medical school. So uh, I, I met up with the dean of medicine. We, uh, we, we got together. We figured out a way to like made it, make it work. I got drafted by Kansas City. And uh, I've been there for the past six years, you know, balancing the football season and then transitioning into medical school every offseason until last year when I graduated and, uh, and got my MD. So that's kind of my, uh, my story. Oh, and we did win a Super Bowl, uh, but uh, every, kind of, everybody kind of forgot about that because it's four months ago and everything has changed since then. I didn't forget about it. I'm from Kansas, so no, no, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, of course. It goes without saying. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you speak, and, I, and I'm wondering, you know, there would be a lot of coaches, and rightly so, would say, you know what? I think you're great. I think you're talented. But I don't know if you can juggle, you know, med school and football. How was that received? And the fact that, I guess, Coach Andy Reid said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a chance. I think that, that we can make this work. Yeah, I mean, Coach Reed is, uh, is such a, a key person when it comes to, like, people that influence me in, in, my, uh, in my career. And back in 2014, before the draft, uh, I was doing a pediatric rotation in Montreal. And uh, I, I thought, you know, after my pro day, everything's going to be quiet down for two months. I'm going to finish up my blog and my rotation, and then maybe I'll get drafted. But what I didn't know is that people were allowed, like, to call you on visit. So the, the phones start ringing. And then you fly to Green Bay, San Francisco, Buffalo, and everything. And I ended up as well in Kansas City. 
And, uh, and all those coaches throughout that, that pre-draft process were asking me, like, how do we know you're going to commit 100% to football when you have medical school as a plan B? And Coach Reed was really the only one who saw that as a positive thing. He was like, you know what? If you're here today, it's because you love football. It's because you want to play football because you have other projects on the side. And, and I think just that, that, that way of that perspective is, um, is really unique. And, 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 you know, for me, uh, there, there's no way I would be here if it was not for Coach Reed. You know, somebody who, who believed in me, who allowed me to combine both my passion and, and raise them at the highest level. Um, if it was not for him, there's no way I would have been here, you know, talking to you today, you know. And, uh, and, and funny enough, you know, the first thing that Coach Reed actually mentioned to me was that it, her mother actually went to medical school at McGill. And she was one of the first female, yeah, I know, right? She was one of the first female graduate uh, to graduate with an MD from uh, one of the best school, medical school in the world. So uh, you realize that it's really a small world, you know, and the McGill connection are everywhere. <laughs> It was meant to be. So you mean, let me make sure I understand this correctly. His mother, Coach Andy Reid's mother, graduated from med school in the same place where you did. In Canada. And she was, she was part of the first cohort of students uh, with, with women in it. And she, she graduated from McGill University. And actually, Coach Reid sent me a picture of her diploma not long ago. She was like, hey, I, he was like, hey, I found this in, uh, in some kind of like boxes or whatever. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I got the same diploma in my room here. Uh, and, and it's crazy to think that, you know, I was doing my pre-drive visit and I, I, and I came across this awesome coach who also happened to have uh, her mother who graduated from medical school. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a really small world. And I think, uh, I think it, it, it had a lot to do when it comes to like Coach Reed um, trusting me and, and trusting that I was gonna, you know, be accountable to the team and because, my schedule has been really chaotic, you know, for the, for the last six years. Uh, every offseason, I would fly back to Montreal right after, you know, you, you lose into a playoff run. And then, you know, five days later, you're back in Montreal uh, doing OBGYN, doing psychiatry, doing internal medicine. Uh, and, and for Coach Reed to be able to, like, trust me and, and kind of really support me the way he did, I think uh, maybe, maybe, maybe her mom had something to do with that. Absolutely. I think that's phenomenal. You, all, you talk about, we talked about the power of, uh, your ability to transition and you touched on it just for a moment you know you're in training camp and then next thing you know you're working with children or or women who are pregnant that that transitioning how are you able to do that you could probably write a book on some of the experiences <laughs> you've dealt with in like a two three week span yeah I mean, it's been kind of hectic i keep saying people keep asking me when i do conferences and stuff like how do you combine both and, and for me like combining both it's more the story of my college career where I had to like play football and then study medicine at the same time. Uh, but when, once I got to the, the, the pros, uh, when I play football in Kansas city, I play football. It's like a full-time job and even more. So the, the hardest thing for me is not to combine both, but it's to transition. You know, you, you're a football player, you, fit, you play in front of like 80,000 people and you have a whole team of like physiotherapists, nutritionists, coaches, massage therapists that are all there to like help you optimize your performance. And then, you lose, you, you see like zero seconds on the, on, on the clock in the fourth quarter and you're like, God damn it, I, I thought I was going to go to the Super Bowl this year. And then a week later, uh, you're back in Montreal, it's like minus 20 degrees and, and you got to go to work, do the rounds, and now you're like a medical student. So you're like at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to like the medical hierarchy, whatever. So, uh, so it's just, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's just a totally different change of mindset. And then, you know, OTAs and spring camps start in Kansas City, and then you have to stay a little longer in order to pass your board exam. And then the next day you're flying back to Kansas City and you're on the field practicing and learning how to block inside zone. And it's just like that transition and that switch of perspective has always been like the, the most challenging thing for me to do. It's amazing. Let's fast forward to the Super Bowl. I covered the Super Bowl. I was at the pep rallies and surprising folks with tickets and all sorts of stuff. I have to tell you, in that moment, I look back, COVID never even crossed my mind. I remember it kind of the rumbling of it and the reporting. Um, and I'm almost ashamed now that it seemed like it was somewhere else. And so in that moment, it wasn't really a concern. I read somewhere that a reporter, did they mention it to you? Was it before the game? Or what was your you know, awareness of COVID heading into the Super Bowl? I mean, I, th I think I was exactly like you, you know, and, and now I feel a little bit guilty to f that I felt that way, you know, because uh, I was like, oh, it's something that's happening in China. There's no way it's going to cross the ocean and, uh, and you know, the, the, the who is going to protect us. And but, but oh, my God, things have has really changed since then. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, somebody on the Thursday before the game, a reporter actually asked me, what do you think about the coronavirus? And, and you know, you get hit with all kind of different questions in the week leading up to the Super Bowl about the strength of their defense, the D-line, the matchups, everything, Coach Reed, the history of Kansas City. And for somebody to just like show up and ask me like, what do you think as a doctor about the coronavirus? And I was like, honestly, can I just focus on the biggest game of my life right now? And I was kind of surprised by it, but it's crazy to, to see that, you know, three months later, she was right. You know, it, it was all over and, and all her plans that we made for our off season was can, were canceled. And now it's all about, you know, the, the, that fighting this virus and making sure that we come out of it okay. So after you were able to celebrate with your, your, your friends and your family and your teammates and your coaches, and you, you had a little bit of a time, when did you get that nag that, you know what, I think I need to do something with this? Well, I, after the Super Bowl, like you said, you know, there was a parade in Kansas City with like over a million people and there's no way that could even happen right now. Uh, but then after that, I came back to Montreal and there were a lot of, uh, it was really festive, you know. It, it was the first time a, a, a Quebec native was actually winning the Super Bowl. So to be able to, like, celebrate and feel the support from all the, the fans here was uh, was really amazing. And at some point, I was like, I need to get away from this, you know. I need to kind of digest the win and kind of, like, flip the page and move on to get ready for the next season. So I left on a trip with my girlfriend. And uh, and it's only when we got back. We got back, actually, the first day that uh, the, the government put in place a measure for returning travelers saying that we had to like quarantine for 14 days. So uh, we, we got back the same day. And I remember, you know, looking at the airport and I was like, there's no way all of those people are going to stay home for 14, 14 days. Like there's just no way. And then next thing you know, the, the school are closing, the, the sport leagues are shutting down. And then um, at the beginning, I felt like, what am I going to do? You know, the, my conference, my media appearances, you know, my foundation stuff, like, Everything was shut down, and at the beginning, I, I kind of felt bad, you know, looking back at it, because everything was about me, and uh, after, like, a week or so, I realized, like, how can I help? I have a medical degree, like, I'm, I for sure could do something, and then I, I kind of realized that I was in a gray zone, because uh, I got my MD, I got my doctorate of medicine, but I haven't done residency training yet, so it was hard for me to just, like, go back and help in the hospital setting, um, so at the beginning, I, I started, like, relaying messages from uh, public health authorities like about social distancing and all that stuff and, uh, and at some point there was that opening to go back and help in uh, those long-term care facility and uh, you know like I, I'm sure it's the same in the states like those uh, elderly residents have been hit really really hard by uh, by COVID uh, 
So, you know, I raised my hand and I was like, I want to be, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of the solution. I want to go back and help. And, uh, and I've been doing that for the past 10 weeks. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite special. Like we're talking about transitioning, like going back from, like coming back from a shift at the long-term care facility and then logging in onto your iPad and doing some virtual teaching with the chiefs uh, and learning how to like bet, better pass protect and then working out because you got to stay in shape and then going back there to work. Like that's, uh, that's probably the hardest transition I, I have to do in my life. And you know what else? The mental uh, pressure that it puts on you. It's emotional. I mean, you're in a nursing home. You clearly have a, a, you know, a heart, a big heart and empathy. What has it been like over the last 10 weeks? You know, when you first walked in, I can only imagine people might've been a little starstruck, right? Because you're a star, a rock star. How did that affect, you know, what you were doing? Was there a trust factor there? Or talk to me about, about that experience and what it's been like inside. Well, it's been, um, you know, throughout medical school, I don't think I've cried once, you know, because you, you see, some things that are not supposed to go the way they do, but you see so many positive things. You see people going back home healthy and all that stuff. And uh, when you work in a long-term care facility, um, there's not a lot of positive, especially not right now. You know, people are going there for the last phase of their life and they're eventually going to die there. And, and, and it might be from COVID or it, it might not, you know. And at the beginning, I went there with the mindset of like, okay, I want to, you know, hand out medication as fast as I can and try to optimize my time and try to do as, as much good as I can. And uh, I quickly realized that if you're only doing that, you know, if you're only focusing on the tasks to do, like the objective tasks to do, you're, you're missing the point kind of deal, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm working with patients that haven't seen family for the past 10 weeks because they're quarantined in their room, you know, and, and the only human interaction that they have is with people like us with visor, mask, gown, gloves and everything. So it's to a certain extent, it's not, it's not human. So like you cannot just go in there and, and pretend like, you're going to give like the medication crush with, you know, putting chocolate pudding and that way they can swallow it better. Like it's not about that. It's about taking the time to care about the patient, you know, to communicate with them and to realize that you're probably the only interaction they're going to have for like the next three hours. And when you go home while you're with your girlfriend, your family or whatever, but those, these people are staying there, you know, in their eight foot by eight foot room, you know, days after days after days. So, at the beginning, I, I thought I went there with the wrong mindset to a certain extent. I, and I think I'm going to learn so much from that experience because um, in medicine, sometimes you try to optimize C-patient and everything, but this is not about that. It, it, to a certain extent, it's not even about medicine, what's going on. It's about making sure that those patients are comfortable, making sure that they preserve their dignity and that at the end of the day, you know, they have a, a positive experience from, from what's happening right now, which is, which is hard to do because... There's not a lot of positive. So one thing in my business, and you, you can probably relate, we have to be careful when we talk about COVID to not just make it numbers. I remember when we reached 100,000, you know, uh, deaths. And, you know, it's easy to get desensitized in a way, and we don't want to do that. For you, because you're in the on the inside, that's just in this country, let alone what you're dealing with, and just in your own circle. You know, each one of those numbers is a real person. And I feel like it's so important for us to remember. And for you, you probably made some, some really solid relationships out of this. Yeah, no, for sure. And you're talking about the media. Um, I remember like on, on almost on a day-to-day -day basis, you go to work and the patient that you're working with are watching the news. You know, they're, they're connected to their TV like eight hours a day and they see those numbers. You know, they see the headlines saying like, 
oh, there's a big heat, big heat wave coming up. Are they going to survive with no AC in their home? You know, like this is what they hear. And and then you 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 come you come there and pretend like everything's okay. You know, it's it's weird. And and yes, I think like I'm not going to say things in the media now without thinking about okay everybody's watching this it's not only like the sport fan in their living room it's also that lady with ms that watched the super bowl and was telling me about her experience about how she felt proud that you know a french canadian won this thing and, and brought the, the trophy back home you know and she was so proud of this but you know when i'm when i'm doing my my post super bowl interview i don't think about that i don't think about her but she's also watching you know and i think we uh we, we, we got to be accountable to those people and, and make sure that we're sometimes we, we say things that we shouldn't be saying because they're watching and, and, and they're watching and they're not able to get out. So they got to, you know, endure that situation. So yeah, no, it's uh, you're right. You cannot just look at the number and be like, Oh, it's a hundred thousand people out of like 38, like 380 million or whatever. Like you, you gotta be looking at that saying like, Oh my God, a hundred thousand people is a one football in a half stadium. Like it's a lot of people and, and you know, and, and at least that's how, that's how I'm looking at it because yeah, otherwise it's, it's too easy to like compare with like the, the Spanish flu and be like, Oh yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Like it is a big of a deal. We're like in 2020, we're supposed to be able to like protect ourselves against those kind of pandemic. And, and so far we're, we're not doing that good of a job. Is there any experience that you've had or a relationship that you've formed or uh, any story you can tell us that is something that you'll always remember about this time? Oh, tons, tons. And, uh, and you know, it's not only me, you know, what's, what's been really nice about what's happening right now is that so many people raised their hand and, and said, like, I want to help. And, and on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm working with like physiotherapists. I'm working with assistant nurse. I'm working with doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm working with people that are working in, in library usually that went and got like a crash course on how to like care for patient and now they're working with us like we're all part of a big team and, and I'm not working out there as a doctor or a nurse I'm working out there as an orderly but an orderly doesn't do IV doesn't do, doesn't put like urinary catheter in but when when there's a need I, I show up and I do it like it's it's really a team effort where like everybody's using the strength of everybody else to like kind of get the job done in, in those difficult times and, uh, and I got to give a lot of credit, not only to the people who raised their hand, but also to the people that have been there for the past 30 years. Like I, my, my supervisor, like she's a nurse assistant. She care for the patient like it's her home mother. And, and she's there every day for the past 30 years. And she's been working with patients that, that were there before she was working there. So like, it's not like a, a, new, a new situation, the situation in long-term care facility. It's been like that for a long time and now it's just exacerbated by all the measure, extra measure that you gotta do in order to protect yourself and protect the patient. And that's why we're missing so many people. It's because whatever job you were able to do in like four hours, now it's taking you eight hours because every patient you're seeing, you gotta like put a gown on, put a mask on, put a new visor, put new gloves and get out and then remove your gloves, wash your hands, remove your visor, wash your hands, remove your gown, wash your hands, remove your mask, wash your, like it, it's just taking so much time. And, and I think it's just easy at that point to be like, oh, did I really hear that that patient wanted a glass of water and just like keep walking straight because it's taking so much time to do that. But now more than ever, it's important to say like, yes, I'll be there in a minute. Yes, I'm going to help you. Even though it's not like a medical task per se, it's part of caring. And that's what we need to do right now with those elderly folks is to 
to take care of them and make sure they're comfortable. I've learned Sorry, so much. <laughs> no, but I've learned so much and I know that people listening are, are learning so much and things perspective that we just hadn't thought of before. Um, really quickly, before I let you go, uh, let's talk football for just a moment. I don't know where all of this is going, but do you see a day anytime soon where one, you guys will be playing football and two, I can't even imagine when we would have a crowded stadium again. I, I think my guess is as good as yours, to be honest. Like, I, I have the privilege right now to to sit on the on the NFLPA committee task force that is kind of looking at different solution and, uh, and and honestly I think we just don't know what we and, and we got to kind of see how this first phase of reopening is going to go and, and in order to make a decision but it's uh it's tough it's not an easy one you know because when you're young I think you, you're feeling kind of invincible to what's going on but when you look at the number like when you look at the risk factor for complication like being African American is one being obese is another one you know, having some diabetes, hypertension uh, is one. Asthma is another one. So, like, when you look at an offensive line uh, in Kansas City or anywhere else in the league, like, there's a lot of those risk factors. You know, we're, I'm 320 pounds. So, like, yes, we're young, and that's a big protective factor. But you you got to look at, at the reality, and the reality is that there's still a lot of things that we don't know, and there's some risk factors that are part of our population, you know, in terms of football player. And, and so we got to – I think we got to be careful, and I don't want to take position because I don't know the answer. But I really, really, really think that it's going to be interesting to see how how it's going to unfold because we keep hearing about the biodome and how we're going to be able to put everybody in quarantine. Well, this is just – it's not the reality. Like, it's not that easy. And it's going to be interesting to see how we're going to be able to figure that out because I think we can start playing football tomorrow – but the big question is, what do you do when somebody tests positive? And what do, you, what do you do when somebody tests positive and actually went to a Wednesday practice and spit into everybody's face, you know, when he's tackling? And then what do you do? You put, like, half of the team in quarantine for the next game? Is it even worth it to play that game? Like, there's still a lot of questions to be answered. Wow, Laurent, I could go on and on. We didn't even get to technology and football. I mean, there's just so many things uh, that I wanted to talk to. But I think this is a jumping off point. Thank you so much for your time. You have inspired me. Sometimes I sit here and think I'm busy juggling kids and work, but you're actually literally on the front lines and putting your life on the line um, and winning winning championships. So God bless you. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Lauren duvernay Tardif's talk was one of hundreds from Collision From Home. So if you like that and you want to hear more, be sure to check out www.collisionconf.com.